so the first question during the season of uh, of Saint Mary uh, a lot of times what comes to mind is the whole idea of miracles and you know from the older generation of Orthodox there's always this very strong tradition of uh, apparitions I'm a man who uses his hands a lot so probably putting a mic on it isn't uh, this tradition of the apparitions of Saint Mary miracles of Saint Mary and miracles of many of the Saints as well I always like to people tell people you know being Orthodox a lot of what we do sometimes for some people almost borders on superstition and so a question that we we always could ask is do we believe in miracles that's a question and then for any devout Christian most of the time the answer is usually yes but then the question has to be that, that comes after that is why should we believe in miracles you know, some people would say because the Lord himself made miracles and uh, you know especially church history is filled with stories filled with miracles so opting out of this idea of miracles is almost a denial of a large chunk of our history but in the world today we seem to be sometimes locked between two camps and those two camps we hear about you know sometimes we think it's today where there's the rationalistic you know learned educated people who only believe in what can be scientifically proven versus the as people would like to say it in today's media the more gullible the more less educated simple-minded you know the Christians so to speak and even sometimes within our own communities um, you find the split between people who are very much clinging to this idea of miracles and you know the icons that drip oil and water and and then there's the other ones who's like these are the simpletons you know we don't believe in this stuff you know you, it takes a lot to you know convince me of a miracle but truth be told in a way we could almost see that from the very beginning saint paul himself we can read together uh, his letter to the corinthians now if i know how to get this that's the problem there we go I'm very bad with this so this is saint paul's letter to the corinthians chapter one the first letter where is the wise where is the scribe where is the disputer of this age has not god made foolish the wisdom of this world for since in the wisdom of god the world through wisdom did not know god it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, we, in that, in that sequence of words that St. Paul talked about, there's this idea of the Jews who are seeking a sign, a miracle, right? 
you know, their biggest challenge to Christ Himself is like, show us a miracle so we can believe in you, right? And probably even to the time of Paul, this was something that he had to contend with. But on the other side, that doesn't mean that the superstitious were the only problem. The learned were, the, were another problem as well. The Greeks seek wisdom. And the story of uh, Paul on Mars Hill, Areopagus, right? He's, he's in Athens, the center of all philosophy and education of the ancient world. And he's standing and speaking to the Greeks. And let's see what this, you know, this lark wants to say. And as soon as he mentions the resurrection from the dead, what do they call him? They call him a maniac. Because like, what is this? What are you talking about? What do you mean rising from the dead? But let's just stick with the miracles for a minute. Because that's sometimes which I feel, especially in Coptic communities, it's a big thing. You know, and people always have this issue about dealing with miracles. So let's ask a question. What is a miracle? Someone define a miracle for me. What's a miracle? Yeah. Uh, an event that's unexplainable by science. An event that's unexplainable by science. Yes, that's a very good one. Extraordinary, something that surpasses our understanding. We perceive it as something that is miraculous. Now, what's interesting is when you look in all Holy Scripture, the word miracle with that understanding isn't really used that often, if, if at all. There's three words, now pardon the Greek, but you know, if you deal with the Bible, you probably have to deal with the Greek. So the Greek words that are usually rendered in our mind as miracle in the English translations and maybe even in the Arabic and lots of the other translations, there are three words. One of them means wonder, one of them means power, and one of them means sign. Thavmaso, dynamis, and simeo. Doesn't matter the Greek, but there's three words, all right? Wonder, power, and sign. A wonder, something wondrous, something that makes you wow, right? And power is where you see the power of God, and sign, something that points to something. In the Old Testament, when we look at it, we see, for example, What's the greatest things that we've seen God do in the Old Testament? Bear in mind, the Old Testament doesn't have a ton of miracles, especially if you compare it to Coptic history, right? What are the most wondrous and amazing things that God did in the Old Testament? Where are the big miracles? Someone remind me. Sorry? The prophecy, okay, that's one. What else? Like, what's the, those miraculous things that we see? Bear in mind that back in the day, they didn't see the prophecy as miraculous because he's just saying something. Right? But what were the things that were obviously miraculous at the time when they were performed? The yeah, the splitting of the sea. The whole Exodus story. You know, when you, like all of the Old Testament is stories and wars and kings and whatever. And then there's Exodus. It's almost like a genre in itself of the amazing things that God did. And then it's followed by Joshua. Again, the splitting of the river. Or it wasn't a splitting, but it was the crossing of the river Jordan. So Exodus and Joshua, that, 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 that was the, the wonders. And you see, for example, in Exodus, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. And then that's repeated in Psalms. He sent forth signs and wonders in your midst, O Egypt, 
with Pharaoh and with all his servants. Right? So we see God's wonders. God is the one who works wonders. That's in the Psalms. Right? And then you look at the New Testament. Again, about 35 miracles are ascribed to Jesus in the, in the, in the Gospels. You see, and then some of them are even like summary. Like, and he healed many who were sick. That's like maybe a hundred miracles right there, that right then and there, right? So, is a miracle then? Here's a question. We see what were these kinds of miracles that we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Things which cannot be explained. You know, the splitting of the Red Sea, the ten plagues, the work of Christ, healing people, raising people from the dead, feeding thousands. But let's ask a question. Is a miracle merely the breaking of a law of nature? Something that we can't explain scientifically, is it? When we look at the word wonder, God isn't just a wondrous in the things that we can't explain. Psalms, Psalms 18. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament proclaims the work of His hands. Psalms 45. Come see the works of the Lord which He set as wonders upon the earth. Right? And then you hear Psalms 8. O Lord, our Lord, how wonderful is Your name in all the earth. Your magnificence was lifted up far above the heavens. The mouths of infants and nursing babes have, create, have created praise and account of Your enemies. I see the heavens, the works of Your fingers, the moon and the stars which You have laid down. So, it's interesting. St. Paul himself later talks about this in Romans. His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power. Even the things which are normal are a testimony to the wonder of God. And we could almost say that's a miracle in itself, the things that he made. Our problem sometimes is that some people are looking for miracles, the supernatural, so to speak, because they feel that that will confirm their faith when the very normal things around them are what's truly wondrous, or what's really God doing things that are, are supposed to be a testimony to Him. And Christ Himself, in His miracles, and these signs that he used to do, and these powers that he used to do. Like, like I said, there's wonder, power, and sign. That's what a miracle is supposed to be. It's something we see and declare God's glory. That's the wonder. And then understand his power. And it's a sign pointing to him. Right? So even when Christ would do his, his miracles, quote-unquote, he would always also say, the kingdom of God is at hand. That has to be connected with that. And then you even read it in Mark. These signs will follow the believers. Right? It shouldn't be the opposite where the believers will follow the signs. We live in an age today where a lot of believers are chasing after signs. When it should be that the signs are following them. So, if it's a sign that it's supposed to point to Him especially. When we say a miracle is a sign, it's meant to point to Him. 
There's a lot, when you look at the history of the church, there's a lot of other books that were written about Christ besides the four Gospels that we have in our hands today. You hear about you know, the Proto-Evangelion of James and maybe you hear about this if you've seen the Da Vinci Code and stuff like that, the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of whatever. And there's lots, there were lots and lots of quote-unquote Gospels that were written in the centuries after Christ and they all you know, made the, the claim that they were witnessing to the life of Christ and it was filled with fantastic miracles that Jesus made. But when the church decided to canonize certain books of scripture, they said, we're not going to canonize these, these stories. We're not going to use in our, our scriptures those things, except those books that focused on something else. And I'm going to talk about that in a couple of minutes. Because the purpose of Christ's deeds were not just for us to look. You know, how many of you guys grew up with David Copperfield? You know, the magician, right? Flying over the Grand Canyon and going into the Bermuda Triangle and all that crazy stuff, right? That's just wow, right? But it doesn't point to anything. The whole point is that Christ is doing something to point us to Him. So when we look at all these wonders, what's Christ trying to do? If I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. The purpose of the, the sign is to point to the kingdom of God and to point to Christ himself. Now, there's usually an issue. Okay, we're not talking about miracles. What happens when we feel that we need a miracle? Many of us have gone through times in our life when someone that we love is sick right and it's a very tough disease and then we say we need to pray hard maybe god will be glorified and make this amazing miracle and heal this loved one of mine and we read the stories about the saints and pope Carlos did this and saint mary did that and there's lots of these amazing stories and then we say it should happen with us if we have enough Faith, right? That's usually what we talk about, right? God will be glorified and a great miracle will happen. But then, the miracle doesn't happen. And that person doesn't recover. And we get angry. And we get upset with God. And, you know, I asked St. Mary and I asked Pope Krullus and I asked all the saints and I, you know, I came to church and I stood in front of the icon for six hours and I prayed and I did this and I did that. And where was God? And then the question comes up. Is God only glorified when he does what I, want, what I wanted him to do? Our prayers in the unction of the sick, if you ever notice in the prayers, you know, most of the time we don't notice it because the actual prayer books instruct the priest to say this prayer inaudibly because probably he would risk getting beat up by the family. What happens in one of the prayers, in the, you know, if you've ever seen an unction when he's praying for the sick, he says this, raise up your servant from the death of sin and if, if, if you bid him to rise again, give unto him help and assistance that he may please you in his living all the days of his life. 
And if you bid his soul be taken, grant that it may be at the hands of luminous angels that he may be with all your saints. You know, we're praying for a miracle. But if you really want him, you can take him. And we sometimes have trouble accepting that because we almost feel that the prayers that we pray are supposed to be for God to do what I want. What God is supposed to do is to give me the miracle so that I can be happy. And that doesn't always happen. Because what's actually being done is not that God is glorified because He does what I do, want Him to do. He is glorified when His will is done. And that's the problem with the miracles that we have today. The problem isn't with the miracles. There's two problems with the miracles that I mentioned so far. One is when we chase after it because we want to see it and we wish we would see it because it would strengthen our faith. And two is when we ask for it when maybe that's not what God wants. God is at work even when the miracle doesn't happen. We remember the story of Job, right? Everything crashes in, one, in a few days, maybe in one day. He loses everything. And then his wife looks at him and says, you know, are you still clinging on to God? Just curse God and die. You know, it's enough. We've lost everything. Our children, our wealth of everything. And then he looks at her and says, you speak like one of the foolish women. If we accept good things from the hand of God, shall we not also endure evil things? If we look at the work of Christ, His power and His wonders and His signs, they're meant to do two things. Either they're healing a human condition or restoring man's dominion over nature. Bear in mind, when Christ walked on the water, that's not something He did as God, but in a way He did. Okay, let me rephrase that. He did not do that merely as God. Now, what does that mean? What I'm meaning is, Adam, when he was created, he was created to have dominion over God's creation, right? And when he sinned, he lost that dominion. That's why there are earthquakes in the world. That's why there are, you know, tsunamis and hurricanes and all these crazy things. Because sin has caused man to lose his ability to, to take control, right? So when people today say, where was God when this happens? And we say it's because of sin, people get upset. But it's not that because God is punishing us. It's merely, it is a direct result of sin which entered into the world. And we don't have dominion over nature anymore. So when Christ is walking on the water or calming the storms, we see that happen again with the saints after. You know, the, the, the stories of the Desert Fathers are filled with stories of, you know, this ascetic man who walked on the water. And yet while he's walking on the water, he's calling out on the other side, asking some of his friends to keep the dog away because he's afraid of a dog. You know, he's like, you're walking on the water. And he's an old man, he doesn't even notice he's walking on the water, but he's afraid of this dog barking on the other side of the river. It's, these are stories, right? And then we hear lots of the stories like, you know, St. Paul, uh, the hermit, and St. Anthony, you know, the lions and the birds feeding them. And that's man's dominion over nature. And to a certain degree, these, we could almost say they're miracles, but in another way, isn't that what God intended 
for man to be to have dominion over the world and to have dominion over his himself or herself so Christ in essence with these signs is restoring mankind to their former condition he's setting it right he's bringing us to our former glory but let's be honest that's like that's not something that all of us do these stories of the desert fathers these miracles these healings and you know even when the priests when we pray for someone to be healed doesn't necessarily always happen but what is ultimately Christ's most important work his miracles weren't his most important work right let me look at this oh let's look at this verse the Pharisees go to Christ despite all the signs that he's done and they say to him some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying teacher we want to see a sign from you but he answered and said to them an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The miracle, the wonder, the power, the sign is Christ himself. So when Romans Paul says in the Romans about Christ and he was declared to be the son of God with power that same word dynamis according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead the two great miracles of Christ there's another verse here I might have missed it in Isaiah right we talked about power and here's another sign. In the, the Greek rendering of the Old Testament, the, the prophecy of Isaiah goes like this. If you do not believe, neither will you understand. The Lord said to Ahaz saying, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not test the Lord. So basically what happened in that story in Isaiah, the king was surrounded and they were under siege in Jerusalem. And Senech, I think it was Sennacherib, I believe, and he, was, he had the, the city under siege. And they're going to attack or they're sieging it and like all hope seems lost. And then God says to Isaiah, go to the king and say, ask the Lord a sign. And then Ahaz almost felt like, no, I'm not going to ask. He didn't believe enough that what he would ask for would come, would be fulfilled. So he put it under excuse of, no, I'm not going to tempt the Lord. I'm not going to test him. So then the Lord spoke to Isaiah and Isaiah said, Hear now, house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary the Lord also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call, shall call his name Emmanuel. So, 
those two wonders are Christ coming into the world. That's a wonder in itself and his resurrection from the dead. And then we pray this in the night, in the you know, Christmas Eve liturgy. The virginal birth, spiritual pangs, a paradoxical wonder according to the prophetic, prophetic voices. You know? So why is St. Mary so amazing and above the cherubim and above the seraphim? And why did we spend half an hour praising and doing this veneration? And because she is part of that wonder. The Lord, as we say in one of our midnight psalmodies, you know, the Father looked down from heaven and found none like you. And he sent his only begotten and became incarnate of you. That is the wonder. That is the amazing thing, that God himself became man. And it happened in the womb of the Holy Virgin, the mother of God, St. Mary. That is why her icon is here. And, you know, we praise her and say, more glorious than the cherubim and more amazing than the seraphim. And you have better, you know, the Greek is parisia, and in Arabic it's della. It's like you have this, what's the word? Sort of, yeah, influence, yeah. You have that influence with God, right? You have this influence with your son because of who you are. But then we look at St. Mary and then the fathers look at that and say, you see St. Gregory, I think Gregory Nazianzus, the, the one who wrote the liturgy, he says, we are all called to have Christ in us, just like St. Mary had him in her womb. Now, of course, not at the level of the incarnation. I don't want anyone to, you know, have me now, you know, put me on trial for heresy or anything. But my idea is that the point that the Father spoke of, the very miracle that we see Christ coming into the world, is the miracle that we are called to actualize in our own life. And that's why with a lot of the hymns, especially like, for example, when we talk about the resurrection, who is like you among the gods? You are the true God who does wonders. Because God overcame death. And it started with, with Him becoming incarnate. So that we as human beings can have this direct relationship with God. And that is more wondrous than the miracle. That is, that's why St. Moses, the strong, Buna, you could probably quote this better than I do. He says, if you want, if you want to see a miracle, if you see a man who used to be a kind of person who's always angry and intemperate or whatever, and he becomes calm, it's as if you have exercised the demon. If you see someone who never used to give, and yet now starts to give to the poor, it's as if you have healed a withered hand. If you bring someone who was far away from God and bring him back to Christ, it's as if you have raised someone from the dead. That is what the fathers taught. So, where does that leave us? We are the Greeks of this age, the ones who grew up here in post-Christian North America and people who you know, will only believe in something if they see it under a microscope. And maybe some of us still cling on to a little bit of the Jewish notion of seeking a sign. Christ is neither that nor that. Christ is someone who declared himself in this world so that we can commune with him 
you know, when you look, he said, I call you my friends. What is a friend? When you look at the Coptic, the word Ishvir, Ishvir is like my sharers. I'm here to share with you what I have and what I can give you. And what is Christ planning to share with us? Everything. And that truly is a great wonder. Glory be to God forever. Amen.